Loving and gracious Father in heaven, be with us as we work today. Help us be well and wise as we work. Thank you for your watch care over us and for blessings on taking and grading this quiz wisely. And uh, in the uh, conversation over your word, help that to be particularly inspired and blessed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand by after this uh, class period. I'll be going into the uh, inner cupboards, cupboards of my uh, office and doing the rest of the Job lecture that we uh, don't have time for in class because of the snow day. So you need to pick that up online uh, because, of course, the quiz on Monday will include material from that. So we have chapter 14 now, and I'm hoping you will come with me to the King James Version or to whatever version of chapter 14. And we have the first verse, man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. And if that isn't a statement of universal victimization, I don't know what is. So it is too facile to say, no, 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 Christians are not victims. Yeah, we are. We're living in this world and it's lousy. But, but, as Christians, we are under grace as well. And grace provides hope, provides an escape for us. And that's wonderful. So, yes, we're in universal victimization, but we are rescued now. Don't have to wait till heaven. Now are we the sons of God, says uh, St. Paul. Yeah. But we have to assert that in order to be free. And you know something? It has to happen every day. Paul said, I die daily. We escape our victimization daily or not at all. It's daily, every day. And then he says, boy, starts thinking about death. Verse 7, for there's hope of a tree, if he be cut down, that it will sprout again, if it be cut down, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease, though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die on the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Has anybody seen um, fence posts that are growing? I didn't see them in California. When I got to the South Pacific on, on a visit, suddenly all the fence posts were bushes. They were all cut down, stuck in the ground. And I've seen them down here too, particularly South Georgia. You can see them. Yeah, there's hope of a tree. Ten. But a man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and dryeth up, so a man lieth down and riseth not. Till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be waked out of their sleep. In this case, that means forever. We die and we ain't coming back, he says in chapter 14. Keep that in mind. Because at this point, there is something he doesn't know or at least has forgotten. 
And of course, he wishes that God would hide him in the grave so that he would be no more. And now we go to Job chapter 19. There's a lot we're skipping, but we have to. Job chapter 19. Then Job answered and said, How long will you vex my soul and break me in pieces with words? He is trying to get through to these guys that they're messing up. These ten times have you reproached me. Reproached him for what? For being afflicted. Because affliction means he's sinned. Bad theory. They're reproaching him. Being innocent. Makes no sense. Are you, you're not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. You ever see people who should be ashamed of themselves and aren't? Maybe every day. Even, yes, on a Christian campus, yes. They should be ashamed of themselves. Oh, no. Going along blithely and happily. I'm doing just fine. No. Sorry, you're not. Don't you judge me. That's right. We don't judge people's fitness for heaven. You're going to hell. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Fitness for heaven, no. That's judgment. That's God's judgment. But can we recognize and react to open sin? I'm sorry, brother. You're going the wrong way. I'm sorry, brother. This isn't the right way. Sure. Of course. That's Christian support. Everybody needs it. I just got rebuked this morning by the academic dean. I was feeling so righteous about something, wrote him an angry letter. He wrote back and explained to me the reality. He's a very nice guy, Bob Young, and wrote to me the reality. And I wrote back and I said, humble, Haleska, you got to stay humble. This is why I'm not academic dean and you are, I said. Yeah. What I did in that letter that I wrote to him was, was a sin. Self-righteous all the way, angry all the way, dead wrong. Is that okay? Or should I have written to him and said, don't judge me. You have no right to judge me. Of course he has a right to judge me. He's right and I'm wrong, even if he were an academic dean. Sure. Am I going to tell you what the letter was? No. <laughs> Forget it. You're not ashamed that you make yourself strange to me. They're supposed to be his friends. And indeed, if it be that I have erred, mine error remaineth with myself, because it's a hidden sin. Don't go reproaching people for sins that you can't see. Hidden sins are between you and God, and you've all got them, so have I. Between you and Christ, when they're open sins, then Christian brotherhood says, and sisterhood says, Say something. Help that person. It's not judgmental. It's blessed. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me and plead my reproach, know now that God hath overthrown me. He has compassed me with his net. He's deprived me of justice, is another way of saying it. That's a little obscure, the text. Again, that's from Don Leatherman. It's a little obscure, but it clearly means what the, what the uh, uh, King James says it means. Okay, have pity on me. I'm on verse 21. 
Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. Is he cursing God? No, he's complaining. It's different. Why do you persecute me as God, as though you were God? That takes us back to the original thing where I, I believe that he's talking to Eliphaz as though he were God. Okay, if you're going to be God, then pardon me. That you Why do you persecute me as God, as you think God should be? And I'm not satisfied with my flesh. I'm already rotting here. And now something happens that's extremely interesting. For me, this is the high point of the whole book of Job. He says, oh, that my words were now written, or that they were printed in a book. This takes place before there's writing. Who invented writing for the Hebrews? Thought I heard it. No? Moses. Moses invented writing. That's why people say Moses wrote down the book of Job. He didn't, he didn't author it. It was an oral tradition, and he wrote it down. Okay? So, and apparently that was between 1500 and 1300 BC. Scholars are mixed on that. But Job then will have taken place, the actual event will have taken place several hundred years before that and been carried down by oral tradition. So now he doesn't know that. Oh, that my words were now written, or they were printed in a book. And of course, that is a prayer that will be answered, won't it be? Here it stands in our hands. That they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. He isn't quite sure how writing takes place. He's heard. Are they graven in the rock, the words? How, Katie? Sorry? It's in the Bible, and what rock is it carved into? Okay. Who is a rock in a weary land? My Lord. The book of Job is carved into the heart of Jesus, just as all the rest of it is. He carries this. Every story here, every word here, he carries, graven in his heart. And that word of the rock, I think, reminds him of something else. And he says this. This 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day on the, upon the earth, and that and though after this skin worms destroy this body, it's inevitable, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins, my um, viscera, be consumed within me. Where did that come from? Just recently he's been saying, a tree lives again, bushes out, but... Not a man. We don't live again. And now look. 
for I know that my Redeemer lives. How does he know that? And that he's going to stand at the latter day on the earth and I'll see him with my own eyes and not another's eyes. That's a whole theological thing right there. And even though I'm all corrupted and all turned to dust, my flesh is coming back and I'm going to see him in the flesh. Where did that come from? And how? From we're not as good as a tree to this. Let's, let's take the how first. Well, no, let's take the what. It's clearly inspiration. As suddenly a prophet knows and repeats to everybody else prophecy. This is prophetic here. And it has been shot in like a, uh, like a hypodermic needle into a watermelon. Suddenly, there's new stuff in there. That's inspiration, pure and simple. What brings it forth? What causes it? How do you have inspiration now? 19 chapters in. Notice it comes just after a prayer. That my words were now written. What's the virtue of having your words written? You can't erase it. Good. Can't erase it. Forever, he says. There's another virtue. A more important one. But it comes from the fact you can't erase it. If you can't erase it, what's going to happen to it? It's going to stick around. Katie. It can be read. It can be shared. It can be witnessed. Generation after generation after generation after generation. So, essentially, this is a prayer for somebody else. Up until Job 19, he is absolutely obsessed with what's happening to him. And we can't blame him for that. It's awful. He's fixated on what's happened to him. And now suddenly with this prayer, it isn't much, but there's the least crack that opens up and gets him outside his own head and his own body, and it gets him out into a wish that other people might read this witness. And of course, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, realized, this prayer will be answered in ways that he can't even guess yet. He's got, he's got this, this, this prophecy about to come in the next verse, but he's also got the frame story he's going to have. And so these people who are reading it and reading it and reading it in other generations, first by oral tradition, they're getting it and they're understanding about Satan. First time in the Bible, word Satan. They understand the great controversy. They understand the trial going on. And who's on trial? God is on trial. 
Job is being cross-examined through torture, but he's a witness. He's kind of on trial in that way, but the big one on trial, the big target is God, period. And so what is our role as witnesses? What's our basic job as Christians? Sorry, can't hear. Oh, okay. So somebody answered. The old man can't hear you. Stand up for him. To vindicate, write this down somewhere. This is from Mrs. White. Caitlin's probably what you were going to say. To vindicate the character of God. God is righteous and true altogether. To vindicate the character of God. That's your job and that's my job. And insofar as I don't do my job today, right now, I'm failing him. It's all about him. However much we suffer, it's still all about him. Got to be. Because we are witnesses, not the defendant. And this, 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 this goes a long way toward vindicating the character of God, doesn't it? For I know that my Redeemer, I got a Redeemer. Storge goes backwards. He is paying for me. Even though I'm a miserable sinner, he's still paying for me. And if I were the only person alive, and if you were the only person alive, he still would have done it for you. One. Right? Doesn't that say something about God's character? When we realize that and tell our neighbors, aren't we vindicating God's character? And if we do this in the middle of torture, I've told you already, have I not? Kathy Goddard, Mrs. Goddard, told church a couple of weeks ago, her husband dying suddenly of cancer. She said, why? He said, that's the wrong question. The question isn't why, it's how. How can we use this for God's glory? How will God use this for his own glory? Vindicate the character of God. That's it. Now, I'll see for myself. Okay, it's going to be a whole lot of other molecules probably all stuck together to make you on the last day. All these original molecules that are making you right now, gone. But the template... The you is in God's memory. He'll build you again. But the molecules don't have to be the same ones, right? Works for me. Still going to be my eyes going to see them. See, that's a question. If, if how, there are people who say, I've got to be buried uh, in, a, in a casket because I've got to come out of the grave. What about the people, millions of people, who never had the chance of a casket? They died at sea or something. God is able. Doesn't mean go ahead and do something else. I myself am going to be cremated. Cleaner, let it get it done. God, God can put me together just fine at the last day. Don't worry about it. But cheaper too. Anyway, that's important. It's my wife's money. Anyway, even though after... so. I went to a funeral some time ago, and it was being presided over by a Presbyterian minister. And because I had a part in the program, 
He invited me back to his office, and we had a nice theological discussion about all kinds of things. He hadn't talked to Adventists very much and didn't know very much about what we thought. And I, he said, you know, right now, she's in heaven looking down and seeing us. And I said, you know, I wonder whether you've read Job 19.26. And she, he said, I don't know. I said, well, take a look. He looked at it, and he said, I have never seen that before, and I don't know what to do about it. I said, well, pray about it, same as I do over texts that are unfamiliar, and wrestle with it, see what God tells you. Yeah, he says, you're right. Very clear on the state of the dead. And on the bodily resurrection. It's very clear. It's wonderful. So that piece of inspiration comes out of the moment when he comes out of himself. And that's very, very important. He's gone beyond his self-centeredness, and he has been rewarded with divine inspiration. Once again, this tells us that God shows responsibility for Job and everything else. Christ takes responsibility for sin, though he's not guilty of committing any. Takes responsibility. You cannot delegate responsibility. You can delegate authority but not responsibility. Have you read Eisenhower's announcement on D-Day that he held in his pocket in case it didn't work? The responsibility for this failure is entirely my own, he said, because he was the supreme commander. That's it. The buck stops here, said Harry Truman. He's right. Responsibility. That's why Christ had to come and die because of his virtue. Why? Because he made the world. It went wrong. Not his fault, but his responsibility. Clear idea? It was his responsibility. He made the world, and through no fault of his, it went wrong, but he still pays it because he was in command. He was in charge. So now we go to chapter 21. And again, we're skipping more stuff, and I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. And chapter 21 says, ask a question. We'll do this one fast. What does chapter 21 say? You read it a few days ago, but it had to have made an impression. Yeah? Is that one where the, why do the wicked prosper? Yeah, why do the wicked prosper? I don't know. Did I, did I already tell you the story of this guy the wolf of Wall Street who's living a happy life having stolen all these people's money? The wicked are often happy in this world. Happier than you and me sometimes. You can buy anything you want to. It's an empty life and they should be ashamed but as we've said there are all kinds of people who should be ashamed who are. They think they're going fine. Somebody says if God grades on a curve I'm doing okay. Does God grade on a curve? Nope. Sure doesn't. Got Ten Commandments here. Thou shalt not steal. That's it. Don't go stealing. Chapter 27 answers it. What does it say? He 
even in this life, they're miserable, even if they don't recognize it. Is it possible not to recognize that you're miserable? Sure, get real drunk and lie down in the, in the, in the pen with the pigs. Go ahead. You're real drunk, you don't notice. Get drunk on yourself and lie down with the pigs. You won't notice. It's very simple. Eighth, uh, 27, eight. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he hath gained when God taketh away his soul? Will God hear his cry when trouble cometh upon him? His question is, does, presupposes that God will not hear the cry of the wicked. He knows he's not wicked, at least hasn't been. Thus God will hear his cry, he believes. He says earlier, we saw the text, uh, uh, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain my own way before him. I'm not going to lie to him. I'm not going to pretend I think or feel something I don't. Fine. This is the portion of the wicked man with God, 13. His children will be multiplied, if his children be multiplied, it's for the sword. Probably going to kill each other. Ever heard of these terrible battles over uh, inheritance? Rips families to pieces. I'm so... Uh, um, impressed with my wife's family when the parents died. All the daughters got together and they were all telling each other, you need to take this. And everybody looked at my wife and said, you need to take the piano. It's a nice piano. They would have wanted that piano. but They said, no, you played it most. This is most special to you. You need to take the piano. Wonderful thing I told them. I, I haven't seen families that have been that generous with each other over inheritances. Not in the wicked families. His offspring will not be satisfied with bread. Those that remain of him will be buried in death permanently. It's going to come up later. And so on. Though he heap up silver as the dust and prepare raiment as the clay, he may prepare it, but the just shall put it on. And the innocent shall divide the silver. When will that be? Not in this life. But after the resurrection, they get it all. Of course. Anything that's good comes to us after the resurrection. Oh, it's pie in the sky by and by. It's not in the sky, folks. It's here in the world made new. An eternity of blessings paid for by faith amid victimization. Works okay, doesn't it? Isn't that all right? So, he may not know it like a drunk amid pigs, but he's poor and blind and naked and miserable even though he's got himself all doped up. So, where do we go next? Uh, yes. Then, okay. 
Then we get to an extremely important, oh, yeah, 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 28. I didn't have you read this, I don't think. Maybe I did. But everybody should know chapter 28. It's the wisdom chapter, and it's one of the most favorite chapters in the book of Job. Where do you find wisdom? It's beautifully written. Surely there's a vein for the silver and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth. Brass is molten out of the stone. And so on and so on and so on. The stones of it are in place. Seven. There is a path which no fowl knoweth, which the vulture's eye hath not seen. The lion's whelps have not trodden, yet nor the fierce lion passed by it. Where, where is that? Where is that place where no lion comes? It's in a mine. Lions don't count in a mine shaft. Okay? So you've got this hidden place under the earth. They've got a mine shaft, and that's fine. But, hmm. And where is wisdom? Twelve. But where, sh but where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The depth says, not in me. The sea, saith, is not, in, not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither can silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with gold of Ophir, precious onyx. You can't buy it. You've got to get it somewhere else. Where can we get it? And, of course, the answer is 28. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear, and that's yera, another word for terrified, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. It starts, doesn't end, it starts with understanding the enormity and the complete otherness of this God we serve. Have a good time. I hope everything goes well. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. Um, yeah, depart from evil is understanding. What will start us from, de from, from, from departing from evil? To realize how scary it is to live in evil. Right? Yep, I'm lost. What am I going to do about it? Get on my knees. Next step. Fear. Well, it goes on. Until it hits chapter 31, and there's more to do with 28, but we've got to keep going. Chapter 31, 40. Huge text. 31, 40. Let thistles grow instead of wheat, cockle instead of barley. Little metaphor there, throwaway metaphor. And then comes the sentence. The words of Job are ended. Does anybody notice what has just happened? It's immense. The words of Job are ended. Think about it a moment. What has just happened with the end of that sentence? No. Satan has just lost. 
How? Ah. He stops cursing. He doesn't. He stops, he stops talking and he still hasn't cursed God. And he still hasn't cursed God. He's complained. He's been, he said, uh, God is inflicting me. At one point he says, you, you made me. You love me. Why are you doing this to me? It's not a curse. A curse is what? A curse is a blockage. When you curse God, you are stopping him from blessing you. He's never cursed God. And now the words of Job are ended, and Satan has just lost that um, trial. He will curse thee to thy face like the mouse in front of the, the, the eagle. Nope, never did it. Now we have a problem, and his name is Elihu. Everybody calls it uh, Elihu, but it's Elihu, actually, in the original. Get that from Jack Blanco. What's Elihu doing here? Nobody ever mentions him in the beginning. We have these three friends. Never mentions Elihu. At the end, God never mentions Elihu. And yet, here he is. One theory is, well, this is fiction, and whoever wrote the fiction stuck in Elihu because he thought, somebody later stuck in Elihu because he thought it would be a good idea. Pious Jews are the least people on earth to tamper with the Bible text 50 years after it's been written. That's completely bonkers. But we still have the problem that it, if the, these chapters, three or four chapters, dealing with Elihu, if they weren't here, we wouldn't have missed them. It would say, the words of Job were ended, and then it would say, then God answered Job out of the whirlwind. No Elihu. We would never miss him. How do we explain an episode here in which someone is speaking who is not talked about anywhere else. There's no allusions. My answer is, who is Elihu? What is he? Got a couple of minutes here again. I have to quit. Take it up online. He's a young man. He has no status in this conversation. We can easily picture Job's conversation inside his house, but it doesn't have to be. These people loved public conversations. It was a kind of entertainment. The people were at the, the elders were at the gate and they talked to you about anything. It was a kind of trial, uh, kind of litigation at the gate. Well, here is Job and his friends. And they're sitting somewhere, maybe not at the gate, but they're sitting outside somewhere, and they're drawing a crowd. I've done that. In Tunis, I was bargaining uh, in English for a couple of carpets and stuff, rugs, and uh, it was you know five or six times what it should have been. 
and he was telling me how good the goods were, and I said, but that's fine, but, but I'm a poor young man. I don't have the money. I, I, I'm sure it's worth it, but I don't have a, the price is going to have to come down. And he'd say, oh, you crazy American. And we had a great time. Talked for about 20, 30 minutes, back and forth. We drew a crowd, like a, like a tennis match. They loved it. It was, it was entertainment. That's how I picture this. And Elihu can't stand it. He's a young man, and he says, I've got the answer, and nobody's listening to me. Once I was a, uh, in a junior college, and I was running the judicial committee, which was involved with parking. There was never enough parking around College of Marin. So I, 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 I went to the Chamber of Commerce of, of uh, this area, and I said, and they said, please give us a speech about the students. So I did. I gave them the students' perspective on why we should be allowed to park in front of their stores and leave our cars there all day. See what a tough sell that was? <laughs> so I was finished with ringing things, and they called for questions. And some guy said, why should we go out of business so you can park? Good question. And I didn't know what to say. I said, I and the guy stood up, moderator stood up and said, Harry, leave the kid alone. <laughs> they listened to me politely, but they were not going to engage me in a debate. I was, I was clueless. I was defenseless. I was a kid. You let a kid talk, but you don't treat him like an adult and, and go bashing at him. And this is what's happened here. Elihu says, what does he say about Job? Fast. What does Elihu say about Job? He's doing wrong. Why? This will be the last question you can go. But why is, why is, what, what is Elihu's criticism of Job? He's justifying, himself. He's justifying himself and not God. Because why? Because as witnesses, we are here to what? Vindicate God's character. It's not about us. It's about him. Elihu is right in this. But nobody talks to him, not even God, because why? In this debate. Nobody debates him. He's a kid. He's allowed by grace to speak. But he's not treated as though, you know, you're going you're gonna to put up your dukes and, and fight. You're going to leave him alone. Make sense? So we don't have to say, as the uh, uh, fictionalists say, that he's been stuck in by a later guy. Doesn't have to be. This could have originally happened and still have no allusions back and forth because he's a kid. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen.